gentlemen, boys and girls, and friends beyond the binary, step right up for just one nickel. You too can peer into the bazaar, the terrifying, the just plain weird. Take a look inside if you dare. It's the Paranormal Peep Show. <laughs> hey everyone, and welcome back to episode number two of Paranormal Peep Show. How are you doing today, Jaina? I am splendiferous. How are you doing this week, Tanner? I'm really good. Uh, really excited to be back for our second episode. We got a lot of really good feedback on the first episode. I'm not going to uh, lie. I was know. surprised at how much uh, feedback we got. I, I, yeah, you usually don't too. get that with the first podcast, right? No, no. Like uh, the the amount of good words and vibes and feelings that we got uh, on the first episode was really good. Uh, a lot of people really enjoyed uh, hearing about the Glatzel family and the woes that they went through. Um, and yeah, it was it was really good to hear from all of you. So thank you. Uh, thank you. And it actually looks like it inspired Jaina to go sit down and watch the movie uh, that it was inspired from. Oh, it did. So so I have admitted this before. I think I talked about it a little bit on our episode zero. I am not a scary movie person. Um mm -hmm. I, it's not that I don't like them. It's that I'm, um, I can be a big scaredy cat and I live alone. So like, unless I yeah. have somebody to crawl under, I'm not really interested in seeing a scary movie. So that and... said, I hadn't seen this film. Um, and I got through the entire thing and I thought to myself, it's weird. It, I mean, it's, there's some parallels, but very loosely based on the story that Tanner told. And then mm -hmm. I, I looked at the show notes because the episode dropped. And I realized I watched the wrong movie. Oh, no. Which Conjuring <laughs> movie did you watch? I watched the first one. Oh, no. Yeah, I think it was like Conjuring 3. Well, yeah. now you have to watch all of them. Oh, goodness. Can I just skip to three? Yeah. Okay. No, they, uh, so the Conjuring universe, like... Oh, there's a universe. Uh, Annabelle is also there. Yeah, there's a whole universe of Conjuring movies. So like those like, two that played the, the paranormal investigators, they're like the Nick Furies of the Conjuring universe. Exactly. So that's actually Ed and Lorraine Warren, which are the, the two that I talked about that went in to kind of help with the investigation. So the whole universe is about uh, the investigations that that they performed. Um so like the conjuring franchise and actually that's one of our news stories is we're going to talk about the movie that you just watched but uh yeah and then annabelle the famous haunted doll which may be an episode in the future um then i think like la llorona is another one or the nun uh yeah so there's like six or seven films like all in this holy cow franchise. <laughs> but yeah so i think it's conjuring three the devil made me do it is the uh Right. <laughs> is the one. Yeah, because did, like did I you said, enjoy you know, the, the movie the, though? It, it was alright. I don't know. It was it was a scary movie, right? It it's funny right. because when it comes to movies like that where um I mean, you know, we we talked about your experience some in episode zero. We talked about some of the um the things that the family had to go through last week. Uh but oftentimes hauntings are not um violent. Uh, and and mm -hmm. even when they are, um, somebody's 99.999% of the time not going to die because of a haunting. So the stakes are very low in a haunting movie. 
Um, so it's kind of funny. It's almost like I'm trying to watch it like a piece of like historical fiction um, where they're just like recounting the story once again. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Hmm, how are you going to do this now? And oh, okay, there's the jump scare. All right, and now she's falling through the house. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, I, I like the films. Um, Annabelle is uh, is another really good kind of string of movies but again all kind of tie into the same universe so um, but yeah so do they still cling pretty close to um like uh based on true event stories like you were talking about or like is the annabelle stuff is the, is that kind of is that actually based on anything or is that just kind of like that, they're trying to make their child's play no that one also is based on shut up i use true lightly but yes uh all the conjuring films are based uh, on some sort of investigation that Ed and Lorraine Warren did. All right. Well, um, when I Annabelle is an actual doll that is inside of a case inside of Ed and Lorraine Warren's house uh, on the East Coast. Yeah, that's flipping terrifying. So, and I'm I'm also like we talked about before. I'm really intrigued to learn more about these, <laughs> despite the fact that it's terrifying me. So, when I do start watching these, um, I'm going to be relying on you when you're working overnights to like be like, okay, it's it's okay, Jana, just go to sleep. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I uh, start working night shift again this week, so it'll be uh, when you're up at night all alone. Um, you're like, it's all right, go to bed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> at least you have somebody to text and be like, oh no. But uh, it, another kind of cool little thing, and I've seen a few people pop in here uh, where we're recording right now, actually, is our Discord server. Uh, so thank you for those who have joined um, the Discord server you can find at tiny.cc slash creepy discord, all lowercase, all one word, because everything else was taken and the uh, generic Discord server invites are a bunch of gobbledygook. So again, tiny.cc slash creepy discord. Come on in here, post some news stories, talk about episodes, things like that. Uh, appreciate those of you who are already in here. Um, really like to see the community kind of grow around the the creepy paranormal type stuff right it's cool to be able to interact with people and i certainly wasn't expecting a community to blossom um after episode one <laughs> like we were talking right? about that's no. insane to me uh, another cool thing that i'm going to be using this for is uh some of the visuals for the stories that we talk about on the mm -hmm. show i'm going to be posting them there ahead of time so if you want to find out more before it hits twitter before it hits instagram you should go to tiny.cc slash creepy discord and join us that's right. And when you uh, when you pop in, it's a little bit different. You don't just get access to all the channels. There is like a little rules thing that you have to read. It's nothing too crazy. Uh, really boils down to just don't be a dick. Uh, but there'll be a little I emoji reaction. <laughs> uh, you click the little green check mark and it'll give you access to everything. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, you want to jump into some news? Let's do it. All right. So since you did watch The Conjuring film, I think it's kind of weird that this is the first news story. But the film or the the house from that movie uh, actually just went up for sale and sold for one point five two five million dollars. Located in the community of Burrowville, uh, the 18th century farmhouse became famous in supernatural circles following an alleged haunting case that unfolded at the residence in the 1970s and was investigated by iconic researchers Ed uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Herring account of the Perrin family and the sinister presence in their home ultimately spawned the 2013 blockbuster film The Conjuring and put the property on the pop culture map. 
The couple that owned the home decided to put the notorious farmhouse up for sale this past September with the caveat that the next owner would have to keep the business operating. So they actually uh, let people come in and do tours uh, and pledge to honor the site's proverbial paranormal legacy. In order to ensure this would be the case, the owners required that the prospective buyers be interviewed before their offer would even be considered. The ultimate purchaser of the home says, this is a very personal purchase for me, she told the Wall Street Journal. When it hit the market, I thought this is a property that enables people to speak to the dead. Um, it is an amplifier for our energy, attitudes, and beliefs, and if your end goal is to be terrified, it can deliver. Or you can go there and connect with a loved one, it can deliver that too. She intends to work with Andrea Perron, who lived in the home as a young girl at the time of the Conjuring case, to make it into a research center where people can possibly connect to the other side. That's so what do you think? Do you, would you uh, would you move into a known haunted house where this giant? Oh, hell no. uh, now that you <laughs> now that you know this multi multi million dollar film franchise is based off of. Yeah, that's just not a no. That's an emphatic hell no. Um, however, <laughs> I'm I'm really intrigued by what she's talking about doing, making it a research facility. I mean, can you imagine that? Like, you have this place where you know that these things are happening. You know, we've seen similar things with the Skinwalker Ranch out west, right? Um, where mm -hmm. they actually are going in and allowing people to do investigations in these uh, supposedly super active areas. What if they actually do, like, set up a permanent research facility inside this home? And 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 if you are, you know, sub prescri prescribing, subscribing, there we go, to the, to the idea that maybe, you know, there's a... a thinness in the dimensional barrier between our world and the spirit world inside that house and now all of a sudden we're setting it up with this permanent uh, research facility that's that's very intriguing to me yeah no I I don't know I'm kind of weird I think I think I'd buy it I don't know you would <laughs> I could like see that crazy <laughs> like I don't if it wasn't like super crazy expensive and it wasn't uh malevolent which I know in the Conjuring movie it it was. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it wouldn't be like this crazy horror film. Uh, but if it wasn't malevolent and you knew it was haunted, but not super crazy and demonic, uh, I'd probably do it. I just want like a light haunting, you know, a side of demonic yeah. possession. Okay, nothing too crazy. Just a little bit. I don't need 42 <laughs> demons or whatever it was in the story last week. It's highly inefficient. Yeah. I'm still banging my head on that one. 42 or whatever. Yeah. That one's crazy. Here's another crazy story. Uh, a woman uh, from New York is left puzzled after she receives several mysterious postcards written by her late mother that were dated back to 1960. In early April, Carrie or Carol Hover of New York received a postcard in the mail dated August 30th, 1960. She said the first thing she noticed was her, was her mother's handwriting. She passed away in 2014 and she found that it was postmarked from Canada in August of 1960. So they, her and her uh, father would have been uh, on their honeymoon at the time. In a related story, the U.S. Postal Service this week announced the fastest delivery of a letter ever. Right. Good night, everybody. Uh, she, thought, <laughs> she thought it was a weird fluke in the system, but then she and other family members started receiving more postcards. Um... So this article goes on to say less than 3% of mail gets lost in the United States. Uh, her and her family actually went to the post office and said, this is odd. They don't know what happened. And if you actually look at the letters, 
Uh, the letters and postcards themselves aren't just dated 1960, but the postmark cancellation is also 1960. So they got like sent in the mail. So it's kind of kind of odd and bizarre. Uh, Everything says that like this, this was delivered like now uh, or, right. or this was sh this was sent now as if like the other end of the post office was in 1960. And maybe just like the mailman, maybe the mailman like like dimension hopped for one second to a next or time hopped. Um, have you read those stories where like people will like hop very quickly in time and like they don't even realize that they've done it. But when they think back on it, it's oh, something was really strange about that. And it's like. I've never seen a car like that before or something like that where they don't even realize that they jump right. forward and backward. Yeah, it's uh it's kind of it, it this is a really interesting story and I've found this on TikTok of all places where I like first saw the story and then I started digging into it. So this article is actually from Newsweek um and it goes into a few other instances uh of this happening. Uh there was a man in New Jersey uh who received several letters dating back to the 40s. Um and discovered that they were from a young couple writing home to a house that their parents used to reside. And another mysterious letter was written by a young girl who was aboard the 1912 Titanic voyage on the eve of its sinking. That letter, however, was less mysterious as it was discovered after a family came across a letter in a bottle on the beach in Canada. Oh, that's pretty um, cool. So then what, they mailed it off? Yeah, then they uh, once they got it, they sent it to its intended destination. Uh, some of the theories that I've read on this is like... Um, Potentially someone got a hold of these and it ended up in like an antique shop. And then someone saw these and picked them up from the antique shop and said, oh, these never got delivered. Let's deliver them. Uh, and, you know, kind of put them back in the mailbox. The weird thing is, is that like the the stamps and everything are from the era right. and like canceled by the post office like for that, with that date on them. For that theory to work, like the people would almost have to go to the house and put them in the person's mailbox themselves. Right. And who's going to do that? Because chances are there. I mean, you said these came from where? Canada? Yeah, it was Canada. And then she received them in New York. And then there were some other family members uh, in some other states had also received uh, some postcards. Yeah. So, like, there's not going to be some good Samaritan just traveling the country, putting mail in the mailboxes and not saying, hey, look at me. Give me some recognition. Yeah. And uh, actually, the uh, she went to the post office and said, hey, this is weird. Um, I received this, uh, is there a fluke or anything? And she's like, oh, that's weird. Uh, we have two more of these in the back and went to the back of the post office and pulled out <laughs> two more postcards and handed them to her. So, uh, yeah, uh, really, really odd story. Uh, kind of wondering how that may have happened. Perhaps, uh, time travel. Who knows? Uh, well, it's funny you say that because I was just thinking about, uh, I got something for you, a letter. Yeah. Go <laughs> back to the future too. That's right. Uh, the last story we have here uh, for today comes from uh, Europe in Poland. So starting in November of 2021, tenants of an apartment building in uh, Jerokin, I'm going to pronounce that wrong, Poland, have been complaining about mysterious noises in their apartment. They've called the company that owns the building, the police, an exorcist, and most important of all, a fortune teller. Nobody was able to identify what was making this sound or uh, how to make it stop. There's a total of 20 families living in this apartment building, all hearing the exact same thing. They reported vibrating walls, moving small objects, banging on walls. Uh, sounds like a hammer. The noises uh, never stopped and just kind of got worse over time. Could be hear, heard throughout the day and night. 
uh, they were find it impossible to sleep or focus um, beginning or they started to become physically and mentally drained the children became terrified didn't want to go home or go back to the school the owners of the building say it's probably the water pipes but they can't do anything to help uh, but the noises can be heard in all of the rooms and all of the apartments and they're often rhythmical and could sound nothing like pipes Police believe it's just a prank by one of the residents, but they can't locate where it's coming from, so they couldn't do anything about it. Tenants say that's unlikely because somebody would uh, never sleep or eat just because it's constantly happening. Listen, stamina. called an exorcist. Yeah, that's right, just all the time. Uh, when they called an exorcist, he visited every apartment, prayed and consecrated them with holy water, and then painted signs of the cross on every door, which did absolutely nothing. The residents couldn't give up, so they uh, contacted an energy healing expert and a fortune teller who couldn't do anything either. Uh, somebody, however, recalled that a couple months before this all started, a person who lived in the building for many years suddenly moved out. They contacted him and informed them that uh, he moved out because he was hearing mysterious voices in his head. He didn't tell anybody because he thought they would think he was crazy and he would have trouble selling his apartment if the rumor got out. Uh, sounds like your whole building's haunted. That's, I wonder what the history of it is. Now I want to know more about it. At first, I was just trying to think of innuendo jokes. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it, when you have these like haunting stories and you can find flaws in them, especially when it's dealing with one or two people or like one family. Um, like we talked about last episode, uh, you have family members of the Glatzel family who are saying, no, this never happened. And then you have others who are potentially profiting uh, like Arnie Johnson, the one who committed the murder uh, as we talked about going to this convention um, saying no, it absolutely did happen but when you have 20 separate families of you know, more than two people presumably uh, yeah, I think it's harder to debunk in that case. Absolutely it, it's funny too because you know our story this week is is very much along those same lines where you have uh, a great number of people, uh, you know, reporting relatively the same story. Yeah. And uh, it's all the news I had for the week. So with that, uh, do we want to jump in? I hovered over the buy button on the on the documentary and uh, held myself off I, from doing that's so. That's good. I got you. I, wanted, I know uh, a guy. You <laughs> I, I'm ready to learn. All right. So I'm just going to play a little bit of this to set the tone. Hundreds of people today phoned the ZBC saying they sighted an unidentifying flying object. It was a bright radiant light. I've never seen anything like it in my life. It was the absence of noise it didn't like. People from all over Zimbabwe were phoning the BBC to say, we've seen something weird. There were three of us that saw it. Myself, the co-pilot, and the pilot in another aircraft. No wings, no nothing. Shiny over thing. Ariel School, 19th September, 94. <laughs> Could you tell me what you saw on Friday? This silver thing in, in amongst this clump of, of trees. We saw this black figure running. His, his face was like this, and his eyes were down here. I just thought it was some kind of alien from a different planet. When you looked at those children, they were absolutely credible. And, and whereabouts was it? In the trees over there. There was a big group of kids pointing and making a noise and shouting and screaming. The panic spread 
Am I safe? Or am so I that is from the trailer for Aerial Phenomenon, the story of the 1994 aerial school UFO sighting in Rua, Zimbabwe. This is one of my favorite stories of all time, Tanner. And this uh, documentary just dropped last month on aerialphenomenon.com. So I, I did watch this film. I thought first we'd we'd touch base on what the what the aerial UFO incident was. Um, so like I mentioned, it was in 1994, and you kind of get bits of it from the trailer there. Uh, there was a UFO sighting outside of Rua, Zimbabwe. Um, now, Rua is a small agricultural center um, in the middle of Zimbabwe. Um, and at the time of the incident, it really wasn't even considered a town. It was really more of a local place name. It was uh, kind of like a little more of like a crossroads in an agricultural region. Um, so there really wasn't uh, anything else besides, you know, a couple shops and this school there. Aerial School, it was an expensive private school in this area. And most of the pupils there were actually from uh, wealthy families in the area. And what you hear at the beginning of that trailer is they're talking about uh, the the UFO sightings, the, the comets that people were saying these fireballs in the sky and that's how this documentary starts off where two days prior to the incident at aerial school uh, there'd been a great number of ufo sightings throughout all of southern africa uh, there'd been numerous reports of a bright fireball a red ball uh, going through the night sky and the uh, zbc zimbabwe broadcasting channel their radio uh they requested a call-in of all people to tell them what they had seen and many people corroborated the same thing saying that it was interpreted as like a, a fireball a comet or a meteor um but what was strange about it is that it it traveled didn't travel in a in a curvature and that's something that tim leach talks about when we get into his bit on this documentary here so so a couple days before before the aerial incident people are reporting strange things in the area then on September 16th, 62, 62 students at this aerial school between the ages of 6 and 12 claimed that they saw one or more silver craft descend from the sky and land on a field near their school. And because uh, this is Zimbabwe, uh, it's it's pretty open okay um there's there's definitely you know trees and hills and stuff but it's it's very plainy uh so people are going to see this ufo coming down and they also reported uh several creatures dressed in all black and they they approached these children and uh telepathically communicated to them a message with an environmental theme so this was a huge thing um, what started happening is the BBC uh, heard about this and they decided to send Tim Leach down there. Tim Leach was a BBC war correspondent. Um, he had been off in the uh, Gulf War um, serving for the BBC. Uh, he's, he'd seen some stuff. He was very well respected. Uh, and it was interesting for the BBC to send him down there. And he, He's the one that you hear talking in there about all of these children. Um, who who had seen this thing, but he he also talks about uh, how it, it wasn't a meteor. It couldn't have been a meteor because it it didn't travel in the arc. Um, one of the other things, by the way, that they they thought that maybe it was was this Russian debris uh, falling back to Earth. Um, but again, because this UFO sighting did not happen in a in a straight or a curvature like you would normally see with something falling to Earth. Uh, that just really didn't make any sense at the time. 
So as the documentary goes in and we learn more about Tim Leach and his background, we then start to see some of the uh, pictures that these children have drawn. And that's part of what I posted into our Discord that we were talking about earlier. If you go over to tiny.cc slash creepy discord, uh, this picture that I posted in there was very similar to many of the other ones. Um, and you see this UFO and this almost classic uh uh, gray alien uh, with, you know, the big eyes, the oval head, um, the same thing that you see on lunch pails and on every piece of pop culture stuff that we've had in the past what, almost 60 years. So what's interesting about that, though, is because it was so ubiquitous in American culture, um, we, we sometimes take for granted that uh, other cultures would know what what these things are um, and that's one of the really interesting things that happens here is they they bring in Cynthia Hind uh, Cynthia is an African UFO investigator she is the MUFON continental coordinator for Africa at the time uh, and she's more aware of some of the questions to ask um, some of the uh, things to to think about and to take into consideration. Um, and, and one of the things that she pointed out and she asked about with these children is, you know, did you know what an alien was or what UFOs were before this? And it's interesting that you hear that girl in the bit of the trailer that we played where she says, oh, I figured it was an alien um, because she's she's the one person um, out of all of these ones that say, oh, no, I had no point of reference for this. So you have yeah no that, that that's interesting um and looking at these drawings <clears throat> among all the children or at least the ones that i found they're all very similar to one another mm -hmm. and hearkening har back to uh another horror movie i've seen i think it's sinister um where they're these kids are drawing effectively the death of their family. And it's like, uh, the, all different families, um, but they're all drawing the same event. Um, and I think it's very odd that you take all these children and I'm assuming they didn't, you know, corroborate among themselves. Like, Hey, let's all draw the same thing for these people. You know, they, right. they kind of, you know, sat down and drew what they saw. I think that this is, probably one of the most credible instances at least that I've heard of with you talking of you know outside of I guess really anything to do with like a UFO sighting and and what you were talking about how the the pictures um they're all very similar um that's something that Cynthia Hine points out as well because um you know when you're looking at those pictures you say they're similar but they're definitely not the same picture right um, and it's almost like right. those pictures are drawn from different perspectives, aren't they? Um, mm -hmm. And and that's because the child's drawing it from memory based on where they were standing, not a story that they, they corroborated together. Um, and that's another thing mm -hmm. that Cynthia pointed out when it came to their stories. Their stories were not the same. Their stories were not all, this UFO came down, or this disc came down, and this man in black with big eyes... Uh, and and a huge forehead uh, came out and spoke to me telepathically. They didn't even have the right words to use telepathically. That was the other interesting thing, is um, when it came to how that they talked about it was it was talking to them. Um, 
Some of them thought that it was speaking into their consciousness. Some of them felt that it was, uh, they were saying it with its eyes. Um, they all had different ways of describing the same thing. It was the same with their story, and it was the same with their drawings. They were all relaying a similar story that wasn't exactly the same, and that is how you know that something happened there. It wasn't necessarily some, some mass hallucination, and it certainly wasn't uh, this, this corroborated story among children meant to get a rise out of their teachers. And that's when John Mack no, came and I in. I think the fact that especially when you're dealing with something that you or I or really anybody doesn't have experience with, and that's telepathic communication. Like, how do you describe that to somebody? You know, you're going to default to something that you know, and I guess, you know, communicating with your eyes, like some message going through, like understanding by looking at somebody's eyes, I guess is one way to put it, or hearing a voice inside your head is another way to put it. So I think... The fact that these kids are just trying to put it into terms that they themselves understand or that somebody else may understand for this this thing that is happening that inherently as human beings we have no idea about. Uh, that I find really fascinating. Absolutely. Um, and and I should I should reemphasize before we move on that that the message that all of these children got, um, it, they all told what the message was the same but different. Um, so they all basically said it was a message about pollution, that people are harming the world. Uh, and I, I really liked it. It was cute how one of the kids said it. He said, we must not get too technologed. thought that was a fun way of putting that. <laughs> um, before we move on to John Mack, actually, we're introduced to Emily Trim. Uh, and this is one of the things that this documentary does very well. We, we see the recordings from Cynthia Hind and from Tim Leach that they did with these children back in 1994. Now we get to revisit some of these people. Emily was in the third grade when the incident happened, and she's now 28. Um, and we follow her throughout a lot of this documentary as well, because she's going back to a reunion, a reunion um, at the school that the school is putting on to form for former students. Um, what's interesting with Emily, um, she's now living in Canada. She's been living in Canada most of her life. Um, she struggles a lot with this incident. Um, she actually does a lot of art. Um, she has uh, haunting memories of this. Um, and a lot of it is due to the fact that Emily was brought up in a very religious family. Um, this family was in uh, Rue because of mission work. Um, and of course, you know, a, a, a middle-class Canadian family at that time is certainly going to be considered one of the wealthy families in the middle of Zimbabwe. So, of course, Emily was going to, to the nice school. Um, what was interesting is that shortly after the incident happened, um, because Emily's family, uh, Emily was struggling and, and the family just refused to discuss it because, you know, this, certainly there can't be something like that because you know, it's super duper religious. Um, it was just something that she carried a lot of shame with the rest of her life. Um, and that was because she felt like she had to hide something that was really traumatic for her. Um, and yet it was something that she was supposed to feel bad about. And it's interesting the way that we see her 
trying to grow as a person um, and move on from this trauma. And it's another way that, I mean, there's definitely times during the documentary when you're watching Emily and you're just like, I don't know, girl, you're laying it on a little thick. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more <laughs> as we move on. Um, mm -hmm. But you do get that sense of connection with her that this is a girl or a woman who has seen something that has haunted her her entire life. Um, and, you know, similar to the gentleman in, in the story last week, um, you know, holding on to that and not wavering from that story certainly says something. And at the same time, Emily has something to lose, too, because she has her art. And at the end of the movie, we see her touring uh, at the UFO con uh, UFO conferences. So she has something to lose, too. Right. Yeah. And I think I don't know, though, because. When you hold on to something. That traumatic throughout your life, I mean. As a kid, you don't know. You know, 30 years from now or however long. I'm going to be an artist and I'm going to be touring these conventions. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, being able to hold on to something like that. And clearly if you're affected by it, um, does it go into like other people? Does it follow other people or just this Emily? It girl? follows Emily most. Uh, it does follow other children mm -hmm. though. Uh, I didn't take down their names, but there are uh, three other children that it follows along as they come back to the school and meet one another again. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll let you continue, but is it when, when they go back to the, to the place where this happened, kind of what was the, what was the feeling or emotion that they kind of, you know, showed? the big feeling that I sort of got from it. And, and this is why I'm not sure how I feel about Emily. Um, and I'm sure she's a lovely person and it's, it's partially our job to be skeptical. Right. Um, so that's why mm -hmm. I'm saying it this way, but it almost seemed like she was leading the conversation. Like, yeah, I think it was right here. It was right here. Right. Yeah. It was right here that it came down. Um, and this other woman's with her and she's, you know, saying the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's about where I saw it. And um, there's a little bit of leading the witness, it feels like at times. Mm. And it's funny because I don't think Emily actually has any connection with the production of this movie. I went through IMDb and I didn't see uh, anything with her doing that. Um, but at the same time, who knows, right? Right. And. You, you never know, like, behind the scenes monetarily what's happening. Like, hey, here's a hundred bucks if you say something to make this interesting, you know? Exactly. But uh, I think the part of the paranormal or, you know, UAPs or cryptids or something that make it so interesting to me is I want to believe in it, mm -hmm. uh, which... I think can be my downfall sometimes is like sometimes I refuse to see the evidence right. <laughs> like I'm uh, I refuse to be skeptic sometimes and I think that's good that you're here uh, for some things so you can like keep me in check when I go too crazy about some things um, and vice versa but yeah it uh, the fact that they still drew this as children like at the time there was no monetary benefit for them right you know say all these things right and when you have uh, 62 it, children all doing the same thing um and we're gonna get into some other right. things that really that really um 
reinforced that this was probably something extra-worldly that happened and not uh, grabbed for attention or money. I guess as I was talking, something kind of came into my mind. Like, you said that they saw, before all this happened, this uh, fireball shoot through the sky, right? right? I wonder if, like, the town is starting to get this attention. Uh like international attention and now the skeptic part of me is like all right kids this is what we're gonna do (laughs) like (laughs) we're gonna sit down we're gonna say this happened uh tell these people that come in and you know maybe it like boosts the economy or whatever for this small town i'm guessing it's a tiny town but i don't know maybe it was more not necessarily benefiting the children but like using the children uh in order to make something like this more credible. I'm not sure. Well, that's the interesting thing, right? Because it, that's possible, but um, that scenario seems a little too to Mayberry, uh, where in this incident, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's a school and it's a bunch of uh, uh, really rich kids. I mean, this is these, these kids, you oh, know, they okay. have money. So, I mean, if the school went to them and said, hey, we're going to do this, or somebody in the town went to them and said, hey, we're going to do this, they'd be like, <laughs> gotcha gotcha i didn't realize like that kind of school gotcha yeah okay. yeah i mean it's not it, don't let me like paint a picture of like marble floors and everything it's still a school in rural zimbabwe where they're sitting right. in the dirt um when they're outside having right. lessons but it's it's for very uh well you know very affluent people in the area gotcha okay so we have these children that are telling the same story, different. 62 of them were starting to hear this story come out over the BBC. It starts to get picked up in the United States. And that is when it hits the ears of the head of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Surprisingly, the American psychiatrist, writer, and professor, and head of the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard. I cannot emphasize that enough here. A man who won a Pulitzer Prize in 1977 said, I'm going to investigate aliens and UFOs, and surely it will have no no ill effects on my career. That So was he investigating ufos or like a mass hysteria like from a psychiatry point of view. so in the 90s mac commenced a decades plus psychological study of over 200 men and women who reported recurrent alien encounter experiences and this was kind of how he actually got really into the the whole alien thing Um, what he was looking at there was, you know, he suspected that persons were suffering from mental illness um, when no obvious pathologies were present in the persons he interviewed, uh, his interest peaked. So he was like grabbing onto this then because his theory didn't hold water. Um, So then he followed up with some encouragement Mm -hmm. from some friends who then predicted that the subject might be controversial, but he urged Mac to collect the data and to ignore all the materialist, dualists, either or analysis, that was out, Uh, And Mac began to study and conduct more interviews. And many of those that he interviewed reported that their encounters had affected the way that they regarded the world, including producing a heightened sense of spirituality and environmental concern. 
so what happened then is he went in and started conducting interviews uh, with uh, the same children that Hein and Leach had gone in, these 62 children between the ages of 6 and 12. They All of them claimed to have seen at least one UFO. Um, not all of the children at school did claim to see the sighting. However, all of the ones that were outside in the schoolyard at the time did. The basic details of the sightings were consistent but like I said, not all of them, not all of the details were. So what was interesting is in Max's interviews, one fifth grader told how he was warned about something that was going to happen. Like I mentioned, that telepathic message. And then Mac was really interested because he's he's seeing similarities here with what he had seen in his other studies in the United States with these people who had experienced uh, UFOs and alien encounters. He's he's hearing these descriptions of beings that are very similar. He's hearing encounters that are very similar. And at the same time, he's also realizing this is coming from children in the middle of Africa, not somebody in Brooklyn where they have access to all of these pop culture iconographies. Downside here <laughs> is that uh, Mac had been communicating to, uh, Mac was uh, basically, when he was communicating to these people, um, you know, and when he was going on the interview circuit afterwards, uh, he was really laying into the fact that he was from Harvard. I don't know if it was really him or if it was the producers of the shows that he was uh, being a part of. Unfortunately, that led into an investigation from Harvard because uh, they didn't think that he was being responsible uh, with the Harvard name, of course, because we can't have such ludicrous things be studied uh, by the great folks at Harvard. Um, what was really interesting, though, is Harvard work to take down John Mack is um, one of the people in the interview noted that, you know, Harvard has a, a school of theology. So so angels are OK, but extraterrestrials, no. Yeah, absolutely not. So, like I said, the school uh, did uh, do an investigation into him. He Nothing really ended up coming from the investigation besides really putting the fear into him that, uh, okay, um, we maybe I shouldn't be doubling down on the Harvard name. And he did remain a member in good standing uh, with the Harvard Faculty of Medicine. Uh, unfortunately, he did pass away in 2004 as he was hit by a drunk driver. Oh, no. um, but even up until that time, his peers remained embarrassed. Uh, one, of, one of the people actually uh, in interviewed back in 1994 as speak I don't know if it was 94 but back then as speaking about him um the peers uh, said they were embarrassed and they were worried about him and the man actually said he was hoping he'd pull himself together oh <laughs> jeez mhm mm so then we get back to talking a little bit more about the experiences that the children are having um and we start to hear about some of the noises and this is one of the first areas that kind of piqued my hmm I don't know, because the first child describing a noise and, and she had this fear of God in her eyes when she was talking about this. So I was like, wow, she's she's speaking from her heart. She's speaking her truth. And she said it was a terrible noise, but it was like someone blowing a flute. Mm -hmm. What was strange is that every single other kid after that reported that it sounded like a buzzing, like a metallic buzzing or like metal bees. No one else said it was like a flute. Maybe it, yeah. that, Maybe that's a case of was this after the fact or is this like the kid being interviewed at the time? 
No, this was after the fact. This was, you know, weeks after, at least. Okay. Maybe this is a case of the kids all talking about it. And she's like, well, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> like, wanting to Maybe. be cool. <laughs> and like, well, this is what I heard. <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, there's some other um, same but different things. And some that are just flat out not the same at all uh, when they're talking about how the creature moved um some said it moved very smoothly some said it was moving almost like it was in slow motion it was moving so elegantly and swaggeringly and very just water-like as it moved others said that it seemed to teleport as it walked to a random location as this child was describing it i immediately thought of an enderman in minecraft yeah. Um, if you've ever played Minecraft, these creatures, Endermen, they teleport randomly all over the place and scare the crap out of you. Right. And that's how it kind of seemed like this child was describing this alien moving. That's so then we also, then we also get to hear from the teachers. The teachers are being interviewed now too. Um, and what's interesting is the teachers, you know, none of them uh, saw it um, because the children were out on the playground at the time. And um, but all of the teachers are talking about the challenges that they've had faced as a result of these frightened children. Um, one of them goes on to talk about a 13-year-old boy who was unable to sleep. He was having nightmares. And very similar to Emily, his parents refused to discuss it, and so the child was unable to process what had happened to him. Uh, and again, just like Emily, it was because his parents were also very religious and from Canada. And it doesn't say that this guy was Emily's brother. I have to feel like it was her brother. What is it with the Canadians? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I find it, I mean, maybe there was two, I, I mean, maybe there was multiple people from the same place doing mission work there. Mm -hmm. I guess that's entirely possible. Um, so then it gets into a part of the film that painted Emily in a strange picture for me. Um, the school sets up a opportunity for her to travel around the area and see a lot of the important sites, some of the sacred sites um, that are in the region. Um, and as she's going around, there's actually this scene where this guy is talking about the sacred cultural significance of this location that they're in. And she goes, so yeah, I was at Ariel when the UFO thing happened. Where's Ariel from here? I'm it, like, girl, no. <laughs> this is like present day, Emily? Yes. Yes. Oh, so it's like, I'm famous. Like, <laughs> She's almost like, cool story, bro. Let me tell you about Ariel. That's Have you heard very, about Ariel? It's very cringy. <laughs> Poor Emily. It was really cringy. And and these people, they, they were like, yeah, I mean, I know Ariel. I've pretty much lived here my whole life. I know the story. Oh, you were there. Okay, cool. They're all like... Yes, yes, I know the story, yes. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, really then the rest of the film is following the people through this area as they're kind of um, you know, getting to see their teachers again and reconnecting. Um, one of the things that I felt was also interesting um, in the way that, uh, you know, outside of John Mack, you know, we talked about what are some of the ways that we think that this could have actually happened. I talked about some of the ways that it didn't happen. But one of the ways that I feel it absolutely could have happened is is the fact that, you know, John Mack, this this person who had everything to lose and and not nearly enough to gain, in my opinion, <laughs> if you're coming from that stature. Um, to go work this case and be so public about it, uh, that says to me there was something intriguing 
with that evidence. The same but different stories from all of these children uh, tells me that there was something intriguing going on there. And the fact that one of the teachers was said to be really sad um, because children don't come back and visit. Oh, really? And like they're Emily, to? Yeah, Except exactly. Emily. Well, and there's other ones that are there. I, it doesn't really say how many of them are necessarily part of the uh, UFO sighting and how many are there, like just maybe they're back to visit the school. It doesn't really go into the details of what the reunion encompassed, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but there are other people there too, and they're talking about you know the same thing. And so yeah, they they do say that um, every single one of them has been affected by this. One of the gentlemen who are also introduced to tells us that um, it's something he thinks about a lot, but he doesn't talk about it. He doesn't bring it up in conversation because people are going to think you're nuts if you say what happened in his life. Um, and the teachers, you know, like I said, being upset because the, the children don't come back. It's it's stayed with them. It's haunted them. And the other interesting thing when, you know, you talk about how these kids process. And I, I spoke about Emily and how her parents, um, they didn't uh, allow her to speak about it. And they make a big deal about that. What they don't make a big deal of, and I feel that there should be a bigger deal made about it, is one of the now uh, men uh, who is a boy says that you know we were never allowed to talk about it um so it was really something across all of them in many cases they had this frightening thing happen to them that they they all saw they all were able to relay the same different story and then unfortunately it affected them all these years later because they weren't able to process that and integrate that into their lives. And you see how it has weighed on these people for so long. And when you look into their eyes and you see this struggle that they've had and that they've maintained for so long, it makes you ask, why would they make this up? Mm -hmm. No, the, based on everything you've said, I think this is the most compelling of the UFO, alien, whatever you want to call it, encounter stories I've heard. Mostly because, A, the number of people involved, and B, the fact that everyone's trying to describe something that humanity, like I said, doesn't have words for. Mm -hmm. um, and doing it in their own way, but effectively describing the same concept. And also, now that you're however many years later, you still have these adults that don't want to go back and are staying out of the limelight of things. Like, what do they have to gain from right. really anything, <laughs> you know? Uh, well, oddly, like the last see, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's the last actual like scene in the movie. We see Emily taking the stage at uh, like UFO Congress or something. It was one of the big ones. I forget what it was. Mm -hmm. So again, it goes back to what we talked about last episode. You know, they have that circuit that they want to maintain. Some of them do, but you're right. Some of the other ones, the majority of them are actually traumatized by this in a way that makes them not even want to talk about it with anybody. Right. And it's the, sure you can have, you know, out of 60 people, you're going to have a handful of them 
that maybe they didn't experience anything and they want to. And you're going to have those people who heard a flute and they really didn't hear anything. Um, right. But you also have these, you know, 55 other people who did and they aren't at some convention and they're not selling artwork, but they're still terrified to go back. You know, I think that's what makes this believable um, is those other people that aren't involved in this documentary. Um, and, you know, maybe Emily, this is her way of coping. I don't know. Her, her being goofy and cringy out on the town when they're talking about some famous thing out and around. She's like, well, what about Ariel? <laughs> you know? Right. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's her way of coping, but. I will say that uh, the um, her art is really good. If I can find some samples of it, I'll post it into our Discord and uh, also on our Instagram. Okay. Yeah. Post uh, it in the Discord first, though, just because everybody should join us at tiny.cc slash creepy Discord. That's right. Uh, <laughs> so out of 10, I've seen only IMDb reviews, and I think it's on Rotten Tomatoes, Rotten Tomato reviews of this documentary. And uh, everything, every review I've seen is this is the best UFO documentary I've ever seen. Uh, 10 out of 10, you know, 9 out of 10, like amazing must watch kind of thing. Uh, where would you put it? Uh, yeah, you know what? It is definitely up there. I no, I never give anything in 10. I'd say 9.95. <laughs> wow. There's always room to do better. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty strong. Another mm. interesting thing with this movie, and I didn't realize this until I was looking at the IMDb researching this, uh, mm. that the, the movie was actually crowdfunded and it took about 10 years for it to actually finally come out. Uh, people really? have been funding it for years and years and years. Finally, they got it to come out. Uh, the director also I thought was really interesting, Randall Nickerson. Um, he, I did reach out to him, uh, so maybe we'll get something back from him. Um, but what was interesting with him is he's a very well-known person um, because his other credit that pops up on IMDb is as a stand-in in the movie, movie Mermaids with Cher. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. it, uh, it is streaming on their website, you said. What was that website? One more time. Correct. Yeah, so right now uh, you can get it as a rental on aerialphenomenon.com. And keep in mind that's Ariel, like the Little Mermaid, A-R-I-E-L, phenomenon.com. And it is a pricey rental. Uh, I think it's, what, like 20 bucks it's or like something like like 20 bucks. Yeah, yeah, it's like 20 bucks US. And uh, <laughs> so if you really like Aliens, sounds like this is a must-watch um, it absolutely is. The other thing with that is, you know, usually these things show up on on Amazon before too long. Um, right. So if you don't want to drop the money, you know, add it to your notes in uh, Just Watch and get an alert when it pops up on streaming for free. Right. Um, Jaina, thank you for uh, watching that for us and enlightening me. It sounds uh, I'll probably be watching this sometime in the very near future. Um, I love documentaries. My Husband gets mad because I'm usually vegged out on the couch watching some crime thing or paranormal thing. And now I have another one to add to my list. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Both of you. You can watch it on your anniversary coming up. Yes, that's right. Um, <laughs> so on our next episode, we're going to be uh, talking about 
something that Jaina has not heard of. So it's kind of, we're continuing on this theme of each picking topics that the other has not heard of, and it's just worked out that way. But Love we'll be it. talking about the Winchester Mystery House. Uh, it's a really fascinating uh, story, and it's just a house. Um, there's some little spooky things going on, but it's not like some crazy haunting where <clears throat> somebody got killed inside there in demonic possession. It's just a house. Um, but it's really fascinating, the story behind it. So that'll be up next time. Uh, Jaina, where can we find our us online? We are pretty much everywhere on the socials, if you count everywhere as Twitter and Instagram, at Creepy Peep Show. Don't forget to join us in our Discord, tiny.cc slash creepy discord. And of course, our website, ramblingnerd.com, or send us an email. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Of course, you can add us and slip into our DMs on those other socials. But we want to hear uh, your notes, your thoughts, your stories, if you're willing to share them with us. Bring us the creepy to podcast at ramblingnerd.com. Yep. And thanks, everybody, so much for sticking around and listening. Uh, you have any creepy things happen to you please let us know until next time stay safe <laughs>